0: welcome to the program crypto from the ashes how's it going
1: you know team grizzle always a fantastic experience and i see you're growing there's 50 percent more of you this time
0: <laughs> that's that's right
2: that's right a recession for few but you know what i mean not a grizzle over here
0: we're gonna need a riser
2: back there for the rest of the team you know? yeah. oh man a, a pleasure doomberg listen thank you for uh, you know uh, I would say you know our our timing here is impeccable. Obviously, uh, uh, the green chicken can talk about most everything. Uh, we're v- very fortunate to ha- to have uh, have you here. And uh, so obviously, the the state of today obviously we got Bitcoin, broad cryptocurrencies. The market is rallying. Uh, so cryptos across the board rallying uh, on the back of the rest of uh, Sam Bankman Free. So the question is is it, the market signaling that there's potential closure here uh Thunberg, do you believe we're anywhere close to resolution on everything that's that you know that has tra- that has transpired over the last
1: weeks um I would say no I would say we have a few more dominoes left to fall I think uh Bitcoin and gold and um the markets are moving on the the better than expected CPI print this morning if you if you ask me not that I'm a trader and not that I'm um that effect of a student of the markets but I think um you know there's three or four outstanding issues that need to be resolved I think before you start thinking about a bottom being in like the bottom might be in for the price of Bitcoin but for the contagion um that has transpired since the sort of crypto winter began I think we still have a couple of more issues to resolve I think um there was a leak this week in Reuters about whether Binance uh, would be charged for money laundering and various other potential offenses and also i think the whole tether question remains uh, to be resolved and of course we recently wrote about gbtc and the discount to nav and so there's still a lot more open issues i think um, before you sort of have a a true bottom or at least a a clear market doesn't mean that the price of bitcoin hasn't bottomed but i think the event uh, and the headline risk is still quite high
2: absolutely and, and, and the 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 binance situation today that seems to be snowballing is that it's interesting while you're seeing cryptos rally you're, you you know you're seeing a huge exodus of funds there uh on the binance side it, you know there's never a dull moment i, I just wonder it just it, it stuff is still skittish right yeah and i
1: say i would correct you and say bitcoin is rallying i'm not i mean I, the, the crypto word is a bit um malplaced i think in that description bitcoin is rallying today yeah. um but the the, the altcoin world, um, I think, is terminally damaged, as we know it. Um, crypto, you know, Bitcoin, maybe um, ETH, but beyond that, I think we're going to see a full washout. And then the point of this whole um, discussion here is, you know, rise from the ashes. What will rise from the ashes is a very interesting question, one that we've given a lot of thought to. Um, but when the rise begins is, of course, impossible at the time. But I would say Bitcoin is rallying today, but the world of crypto still has a lot of... Uh, unanswered questions. And, and and until we see a resolution to Binance Tether, the GPTC discount, um, I don't think that we're near the bottom of the headlines, like I just said.
0: Now, Dunberg, you made a good point about rise from the ashes. So maybe we're going to ask this to a few of our other guests But I'd like to ask to you if you guys have been thinking about it. Like, do you think as we look through, you know, whatever is the resolution here, and then we're back on the mend in in the crypto world in Bitcoin, is it what's gonna what's gonna be left? Is it just the technology that because I think there it's hard to argue that there hasn't been some unique technology created during this crypto bull market, you know, at least 2016 to today. Do you think certain projects can survive? Or like what is it gonna is it gonna be a total washout? What is your thoughts today?
1: So tomorrow we have our monthly uh Zoom call with our pro tier subscribers, and I'll give you um a preview of what we've come up with. This is the end of year um 2023 predictions, and so we've committed, or we will commit tomorrow to our pro tier members, that um, we will, for certain, review all the ones we got right next year uh, at the same time. Um, But the big prediction for us in cryptos is not an interesting one. I think um, there will be technologies that rise from the ashes, but unfortunately, they will be used to make central bank digital currencies a thing. And uh, that's a a trend that we think is just unstoppable. I think the the world central banks are going to go in that direction and they need technology to make that happen, and the surviving technologies that can be uh, re-engineered to make um, central bank digital currencies a thing uh, are the projects that you probably wanna get behind in a sort of, um, you know, assuming that you put your objections to such developments to the side and you're purely interested in uh, a financial opportunity. um, I think CBDCs are coming, and I think the technology that makes that happen is going to be worth investing in, and um, part of the, challenge with this crypto wipeout is i believe the blatant illegality and criminality that has been uncovered will be used um, to justify the development of of central bank digital currencies Um, and so as long as that's going to happen and it's an axiom um, then you know um uh, as sort of an investor i guess you have to think about well do i want to swim against that current or do i want to just turn around and float down the river with it Um, cbdcs are coming the technologies that enable it will be valuable And if you can find an entity that is going to be participating in that, then um, at least you should try to make some money on the on the on the developments.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So now just on the SBF side you, just to turn on, uh, I've got a couple of questions, but, uh, you know, we'll start with this one, actually, Uh, Doomburg. we'd love to know obviously you, you, you know you talk about central bank uh digital currencies but um your fundamental view uh, so obviously there's the the altcoins shitcoins you know a lot of a lot of different terminologies for them and bitcoin uh, we to my to my knowledge i've never seen you with laser eyes just just your take i would love to get the real sure. uh you know, take on you know where doomberg stands on, on the whole bit are are you uh, you know digital gold bug you know I would love to hear it
1: so i'm um, i'm a, I'm a- Still a no-coiner, so I've never owned uh, any cryptocurrency, including Bitcoin. Um, I do, we do um, segment Bitcoin from the rest of the cryptocurrencies um, for a variety of reasons. We've gotten to know, you know, Lynn Alden quite well, and she makes a compelling case, and she's a good friend of ours. And uh, we had her actually on our Pro Tier webinar a couple of months ago, and she did a great job of of teaching our our subscribers the difference between Bitcoin and crypto. There is a price. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. I would never own a crypto token because I do actually agree with Michael Saylor on this point that, that effectively they're all unregistered securities. Um, but I, there is a price at which I, I could be convinced to um, to buy Bitcoin as but so if you think about the people that are strongly uh, behind Bitcoin, um, there's a lot of overlap in the Venn diagram between, um, their thinking and the thinking of people who own a bit of gold as a hedge against the system um, and i would count myself and and the Doomberg team would count themselves uh, in that category and so um, i'm sympathetic to the um, the sort of moral arguments for bitcoin and there is a price at which i think you know um that that we would one of the things we're thinking about is maybe like accepting payment in bitcoin and then just holding it um, for right. certain subscribers who want to pay for in Bitcoin um and we would file our taxes and the IRS has a, a known way to to um properly declare your Bitcoin holdings and so we would follow the laws um the great qu- big question and by the way we're not talking about a significant part of our investment but you know an allocation um a gold isn't a significant part of of my personal net worth but there's an allocation to it both physical and paper um and I would put Bitcoin potentially in that category at the right price not up here um and I joked with Lynn when I reached out for a one-on-one I said you know uh, when bitcoin gets to 1000 i need you to teach me how to buy it and and she joked that that might be that might be a sign that the bottom was in because if i'm looking at bitcoin 17,000 and trying to get ready to buy it at once she thinks that that might be uh you know the bottom might be in. and she might be right like i'm not i'm notoriously not bad market uh, timer um uh, the price at which i would be interested to allocate some of my net worth to bitcoin um and i would just buy it and hold it and forget it like i was very interested to see that fidelity is getting into the space like um And so, uh, you know, I would I would put a a very strong separation between crypto and Bitcoin.
2: And there is a price at which I would be interested in Bitcoin. That's that's our belief. Do you, uh, you know, I guess just a follow on question to that, that I thought, you know, it's interesting something so surprising to me is you know, just given all that's fallen out is the fact that Bitcoin has been so strong here. Right. And, and you know, obviously I'm not talking the, you know, obviously alts, I think, you know, share with you there, you know, a lot of the, a lot, a lot of that stuff is going to uh, you know, go to zero, but uh, you just, it just, I, I found it very curious that and very interesting that, that Bitcoin's held in so well. Well, this is why I
1: wouldn't be a buyer today because until we understand how GPTC resolves, because there's 640,000 Bitcoin um, yeah. involved in that, uh, structure and until we see how tether resolves um, then I don't know that you can trust the price that you see on the screen. Uh, you could trust the story you could believe in the concept you can um, and the other big question for us of course is can Bitcoin coexist with Cbdcs um, and I'm not so sure that they can and so the US could just look the US has outlawed the, the legal ownership of gold in the past there's no reason why they couldn't just pass a law that says owning Bitcoin is illegal um, doesn't do anything to the Bitcoin network and it doesn't mean it quote destroys Bitcoin. Um, but it sure affects the price of Bitcoin as measured in US dollars if they were to do that. Um, there's a movement in Congress to make um, Bitcoin a security and not an asset, that would change things. So there's, there's, you know, in a world where the central bankers want to implement central bank digital currencies, how Bitcoin is treated is an open question. Uh, but again, given my sympathy with the, the, the sort of foundational motivation for developing Bitcoin, um and given the fact that currently it is um IRS approved as an asset the tax treatment is clear um you can buy and hold it you could sell it and you pay your taxes just like you would on buying and selling gold um you know to me that uh, separate from the cryptos it's an interesting concept and at the right price um I would
0: allocate some and not worry if I lost it um,
1: yeah and so that's so, really yeah. what I'm
0: trying to say that makes a lot of sense now, I did want to get into your, your article last week because a really good one on Grayscale, you dug into the details of a lawsuit going on. So you know, Grayscale is, is the second largest holder of Bitcoin in the world behind Satoshi. It, I've seen some numbers on that. And then you look at post the FTX follow, many are questioning if the Grayscale Bitcoin trust does actually own the Bitcoins it says it does. And then you have Tether that's continuing to refuse to provide details about its collateral. Do you think, are there valid security concerns to why these companies don't want to give, you know, full proof of collateral information to the market or is so it I potentially would, a smoke screen?
1: I would say up front that my base case is that they have the Bitcoin and there's some other reason that they don't want to disclose the information necessary to assuage the markets of its doubt. But in a post Luna, post FTX, post Three Arrows Capital um, world, you know, the market is fidgety. And uh, any questions at all that can't be answered clearly, definitively, simply, and quickly are going to be the genesis of significant seeds of doubt. And so the fact that both Coinbase and Grayscale uh, put this weird report out and tweet out basically saying, for security reasons, we can't detail um, the assets. Well, in this environment, you know, that was fine when Bitcoin was 60,000 and rising and everyone thought it was going to a million. Um, it's not fine here where you've seen contagion, the likes of which um, ha- you know, is a hallmark of the global financial crisis of 0809, except there's no buyer of last resort and nobody knows where the contagion is gonna stop. Um, in that environment, um, you lose the benefit of the doubt. I still happen to think that, that Grayscale owns those 640,000 Bitcoins, to be very clear. Um, and we, we made no accusations uh, in that piece. It's just very odd and eyebrow raising in this environment of all environments, where um, you want to be sharing as much as possible if you believe your book, um, that there's this weird security concern, which nobody could really quite understand. And to put that in a report, and in a tweet, is odd. And so that's why we wrote about it. Um, so we shall see. I mean, to get it, 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 that huge discount to NAV. So for example, one of the reasons why we wouldn't be interested in buying Bitcoin at 17000 or 18000 or whatever it's trading for, is um, in that piece, we described how, in the lawsuit, uh, tree partners uh, described that basically the redemption policy of GPTC is a choice, and they could choose to undo that. Um, they're, they're, they're choosing to, load, in the view of Fir Tree, they're choosing to stop redemptions so that they can um, um, charge more fees based on the, on the value of the holdings, not the value of the stock. And if they decided to open redemptions tomorrow, there'd be an awful lot of fresh Bitcoin on the market. As people, you know, sold it short and bought GBTC and redeemed to, to close the arbitrage, and so again, one of the milestones before we would be interested in uh, opening a position, which for us involves a lot more friction than others because we have no idea what we're doing, and I would have to reach out to people like Lynn Alden to teach us how to do it, um, is the fact that this GBTC discounted half still persists. It's like fifty percent. It's crazy, um, and so there's an awful lot of supply that would come on the market. Um, via futures and hedging and all the other ways in which arbitrage is typically closed because you can also um, participate in the price of bitcoin via the futures market and then and so um unless and until GBTC is resolved and tethers resolved and finance resolved and bitfinex is resolved um i don't know where the price of bitcoin is going to go it could go to a hundred thousand because you know suddenly there's a rush to get bitcoin because like people are trying to get out of tether no matter the price um so like i have no idea where it's going um and so when i have no idea where something is going which is most of the time i don't participate
0: so i mean as we're talking about resolutions maybe we can talk about a little bit more details of of the fir tree loss lawsuit that was in your letter so as far as we look at you know what are the moving parts and what are kind of the most important thing you're looking for to come from that uh that lawsuit
1: yeah so the fir tree lawsuit i should give a little background is a it's called a books and records lawsuit in delaware which is where the trust is incorporated has very favorable shareholder um, rights, and one of the rights is to inspect the books and records of the company. And they have tried to get access to the books and records of Grayscale, and the company has refused, which is not totally unusual, and these lawsuits are pretty common. And the corporations and trusts um, that are, uh, you know, uh, based out of Delaware will often say that these are just fishing expeditions for class, you know, uh, shareholder lawsuits um, that are uh, unworthy of the management's time. In this case, obviously, Fir Tree is a very sophisticated player, and we believe, um, and we, we said so in the piece, that they will get access to at least some of the books. Now, their primary motivation is to force the company to reverse its policy on redemptions, so that the discount that net asset value is closed. I think, in so doing, if there's some shenanigans going on, it's, which, again, my base case is there isn't, um, then FirTree would perhaps be in a better position to discover it, certainly, than we are, for example. Um, and so. Um, and as we reached out to uh Chancellor Daily, which is a great Twitter account, um, th- these things tend to move pretty fast. The courts tend to be pretty favorably inclined to shareholder rights. And uh, we suspect that in a matter of weeks or, or months um, that Fur Tree will get access to at least some of Grayscale's books. And um, who knows what happens after that. Uh, and But the whole point of the piece was to teach people about the Delaware courts, and which is something we have some familiarity with in our professional lives. and um and how um you know that this lawsuit actually could be more important than you might think and it could not and and so we, we try to be balanced in the piece um but yeah that's what's going on right now with GBTC there is a lawsuit with a well-funded uh plaintiff that um is also coincidentally deeply short tether uh and publicly so and so one wonders what the connections here are and what their hypothesis is for spending this money to um work their way into GBTC's books Uh, but that's what's ongoing in that lawsuit and that's why we decided
0: to write about it
3: and and so what will it take for customers to feel safe trusting crypto exchanges again do you think
0: like for you guys what would you need to see to put Uh, your money on a crypto exchange i wouldn't put my money on a crypto
1: exchange but (laughs) if if fidelity was offering custody and i could buy it through my pre-existing fidelity account and i would basically be taking counterparty risk with fidelity highly regulated U.S. institution with good reputation and, and uh, all the protections that come with the regulatory architecture in the U.S. Look, I mean, people complain about um, regulators, but in reality, um, Jay Clayton was out with a, with a comment this morning that I saw on Twitter, which was bang on, which is um, the U.S. has chosen to be very heavily re- re- uh, regulated and a benefit of that is um, customers uh, don't fear uh, what happened you know, with FTX um happening here like i don't worry about td ameritrade i mean maybe you do i don't i don't worry about fidelity i don't worry about um you know interactive brokers I these things are heavily regulated there's insurance backing it um and and i know people in the finance world and how much time and money they spend on compliance and um that 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 comes at a penalty to them but it comes that accrues to the benefit of the consumer and um the crypto exchanges um complaining about regulatory costs are basically just trying to not be regulated and so I would never put my money in a non-regulated entity but um if Fidelity um was the custody of the Bitcoin that they sold me um that would be fine by me Uh, because of the allocation it would be a small percent of my total net worth anyway and so um in the world where Fidelity is not money good for the Bitcoin they say that they bought for me I got bigger problems uh, Damn, and yeah, so yeah. that's that would be where i would do it i would never do it on a crypto exchange especially not one based in the bahamas uh and not one that yeah. has automated research
2: on the wire uh instructions <laughs> uh when i'm trying to send you- money to
1: FTX. so uh
2: Duberg, one final uh you, final question here just you know twitter's played clearly a critical role here um in exposing a lot of the fraud and, and uh you know it, it's just been incredible would love to get your thoughts on the future of journalism. And, you know, if there is a silver lining here, it's just to see what the power of of a platform can be versus, you know, the classic institutions of the New York times, et cetera, et cetera. Just, you know, just, just as the number one finance substack in the world, um, would love to get your take on, um, uh, the future here. Yeah. And I
1: should say definitively, and clearly we have played no part in exposing this fraud. We have played, apart in describing others yep. work in exposing the fraud and giving them full credit a couple of accounts yep. that come to mind dirty bubble dirty bubble media and Bitfinext and the sort of crypto skeptic crowd like um um the crypto corner podcast uh, crypto skeptics corner podcast and so on and those people have been early they've been right um they have been loud and they were largely ignored until now they're all you know all the rage and good for them congratulations to them they deserve all the credit um but i would say to your question um the speed with which Twitter plus Substack um, works, the sort of citizen journalism, the trade-off is basically um, editorial sort of um, rigidity uh, versus um, speed, right? And so in in the citizen journalism world, you're going to get a potpourri of, of editorial quality. But as a consumer of such product, you get to know which people have done their homework and which ones haven't. And sometimes there's sensationalism and so on. But I think that's okay. Like We don't need to be protected from from people that maybe don't have the editorial control that doomberg uh, aspires to, or you know, pick your favorite Substack. Um, uh, it's not professional reporting; um, it's citizen journalism, and that's why it has the adjective "citizen" in front of the word journalism. But the speed and the um, the willingness to make big calls um, is, is leaving traditional media in the dust, in my view. And this is only accelerating a trend that was already ongoing, which is why, of course, we jumped into the Substack world 18 months ago because we to, to we want to swim with the current. Um, it, it, the hard lesson in life is always swim with the current. Um, but the I think this is a, a turning point in the sense that um, the traditional media was so wrong, with some exceptions. I would say the Financial Times has been outstanding in its coverage of the FTX scandal. Um, but I think some of the real traditional media have, beclowned themselves uh, in the reporting of FTX and are, are highly deserving of the ridicule that, that fell upon them for their initial responses to it. Now, since then, the New York Times has done a nice job, a couple of very good exposes. They're professionals. When they when they set about the task of doing their vocation, they tend to do it well. Uh, but the speed of the of the new media is uh, something that the incumbent traditional uh, journalism world is ill-prepared to respond to. And that's the literal definition of disruption.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Dunberg, as always, thank you so much. Uh, we're going to see you in a couple of days. You bet. I got to go study uranium now man Thank you very much. As always, guys. And if you uh don't know, you, you clearly uh Doomberg.substack.com. It- it- Do- you know, Doomberg's created the category, man. Finance, uh in Substack, he's the number one Substack there. Um the, the green chicken's the number one Substack. Uh Doomberg, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Good to see you
0: thank you all right everyone don't go anywhere uh this is crypto grizzle crypto from the ashes we're speaking with Steph Oulette. he's the CEO of frnt financial we'll be right back all right everyone welcome back to Grizzles crypto conference from the ashes we're joined by the man the myth the legend Stefan Oulette. he's the CEO of (laughs) frnt financial how are
4: you I'm doing very well thanks watching uh Uh, you know uh,
2: you you know a lot of
4: Congress today
2: Right. It's, uh, yeah, we're we're watching a little bit. It, it would have been better if uh, SBF w- was there, but uh, man, what a, what a what a crazy set of events, man. We, we picked a good day.
4: Yeah, no, definitely. And you probably got a lot, of, a couple of crypto people feeling a little bit better about themselves today too. So I think the vibes are uh, the vibes are improving for sure.
2: For sure. Um,
0: Scott, kick it, kick it. All right. So Steph, we got to kick things off. Uh, can you tell everyone briefly what FRT does?
4: yeah absolutely so FR;T is an institutional platform and I really want to highlight that is an institutional platform we don't deal with retail and we typically deal with even investors beyond accredited in terms of the permitted clients and the ECP style designations and we refer to ourselves as a capital markets and advisory platform we have several trading business lines which include structured products uh, the license technology to different OTC desks so they can conduct their their operations, and we have a variety of kind of swap-like and lending products that we offer. Um, and moving over to the advisory side, we have kind of a consultancy and general advisory. We do merchant banking-like services, and we have an asset management license that we aim to partner with clients and help them build their own uh, crypto, primarily, and an emerging uh, kind of strategy portfolio. Uh, so we provide a very kind of investment banking-like services to uh, the nascent uh, crypto financial services industry that is... Uh, that is Having some issues right now, but... Uh, you know, we, so so we, you
0: guys are deeply embedded in the flows of money through the crypto landscape, it sounds like.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay, got it.
2: And Steph, uh, I'd be missed uh, to mention your newsletter, which is uh, one of the top institutional newsletters. Of those those who don't know, um, it's it's a great read. Steph, you want to get... So it's frnt.io forward slash newsletter. If you're not signed up, sign up. It's free and it's, you know, lots of great mm-hmm. insights. We, uh, we, we take a look at the chart of the day every day. It's good.
4: Yeah, no, it's uh, that was typically a value add product that we had just for our institutional clients. It was very popular. Um, You know, I think we give a much more kind of level headed voice in this space. A lot of the notes are highly, highly promotional. And, uh, you know, we've at FRNT, we've dedicated a good part of our lives to crypto. So we're obviously bullish, but there's definitely not always good things going on in crypto. And we like to call those things out. So uh, I think it's a little bit of a different voice. Uh, since we've gone public, uh, which we're trade, we trade in Toronto, we went public in April. We've made it a, a public-facing product so that you know retail investors can also follow along in terms of the narratives we're speaking to institutions about.
0: Cool. So what I wanted to get into is that you guys posted a press release kind of right after FTX happened that said you had no material exposure to FTX, to Luna, Celsius. You know, There's been many large, sophisticated investors that got tripped up in all of this and, and got their money caught up. Can you just talk to us about how you assess counterparty risk, you know, aka blow up potential of of a counterparty?
4: Yeah, you know, it's it's, uh, it's a very interesting question and the reason why it is, is is that, you know, there's very little commonality of kind of risk metrics that we would associate with each one of these blow-ups. In fact, we assessed each one of their blow-up potential in completely different uh completely different ways. And I'll give a little bit of detail in terms of what kind of led us to, you know, avoid uh, or, you know, de-risk to, to the, as much extent as possible for, for these three particular blow-ups. I would say the only commonality amongst all three of the blow-ups is that our view at the time was highly counter consensus, and we had the courage of, a, of our convictions to stick with it, which I think is an extremely necessary uh, part of surviving as a crypto company, is that, you know, you can't get caught up in the noise. You really have to have courage in your convictions, and they have to be right. You know, with with uh, what you decide to get into, or or you 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 leave yourself vulnerable to just as much blow up risk as the counterparties you're dealing with, of course. So in this case of Celsius, I mean, Celsius was very well known to be offering you know higher rates uh, in terms of what they could offer to their clients from uh, from a yielding from a yield perspective. Essentially, their primary business model was that you deposit your your assets with them, crypto or fiat, and they'd give you a yield on them. And you know, the question with Any platform that does that is is how do they get their yields? And, you know, it was well known and Celsius was not kind of hiding at all that what they would do was take your yields and engage in kind of yield farming, DeFi yield generating tactics primarily. And, you know, we felt as though a lot of those strategies were completely air that were based off uh, elevated token prices and that yield farming was not going to be sustainable practice. So Celsius is effectively giving you a higher yield than everybody else. But it was only marginally so they were actually earning a much higher yield than that with the risky strategies they were doing and they were taking all the upside so i'd say to somebody at, at celsius i'd say like, "Hey, listen like why would i participate in these strategies with you when i feel as though you know our organization and our partners could do as just a good job and i'd get the upside and you know i'm not even in these in these strategies to begin with and honestly the celsius team wouldn't fight us very hard on it they'd go you know what you're not you're right you're not exactly a fit for that and that was that with luna you know, we have, uh, you know, we have um, we have partners that are some of the largest tether market makers in the world that uh, we invest with. And so, you know, this is something we discussed with them when uh, the Luna dynamic came around it was a very fast growing stable coin. And we looked at uh, whether or not this was something that we could potentially look at ar- arbitrage opportunities in, potentially create products and arbitrage, et cetera. And I mean, it did not take us long to realize what was going to that the Luna Terra dynamic was unsustainable, you know, particularly in the market sell off. Uh, and that was really because basically they were trying to maintain a peg of a of a stable asset, which was U.S. dollar, with a very unstable asset, which would be you know the crypto you'd receive from the Luna Foundation, the Luna you'd receive after you bought a peg at a discount. Hmm. And the issue with it was that you know you buy a peg at a discount to earn as an arbitrageur a small spread, call it fifty basis points, you get a certain amount of Luna back, and Luna was so volatile that you had no idea where you were going to get out of your Luna. Maybe it could move five percent for an arbitrageur. You think you're gonna make 50 percent basis points in a trade and you can run volatility risk of five percent it's not a trade right but for those that were doing it initially as you know they incentivize people to own terra and luna you know the mark the, the luna was generally going up so the initial arbitrageurs would buy the peg at say you know 99 cents on the dollar and they would get a certain amount of luna back as luna was generally trending higher they'd probably sell their luna at a positive at a better spread than they anticipated as it started selling off they'd actually start to sell it at a worse spread that they anticipated, which disincentives that them from supporting the peg. Right. So we looked at, I mean, that was the extent of our conversation. It wasn't like we had multiple meetings on this and we said, okay, well, it's a completely unsustainable dynamic. So we want to be as far away from this as we possibly can. And you know, it gets a little complicated when you don't know what counterparties are doing what in Luna. So you don't want kind of second derivative risk to them, but you know, it's, you know, so that was the assessment there. And, you know, I think a lot of people could have made that assessment too, but there's just this FOMO that goes with these major crypto moves that people get sucked into. I mean, it's not a complicated insight, but we don't really have the FOMO gene here. FTX was a different story. I mean, FTX was by far the hardest blow up to 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 um, to uh, to avoid. We invest with market making funds where really they're trying to repatriate liquidity from exchange to exchange and try to manage spreads. And so, you know, those funds would have been very much kind of in line of fire for people that would have had assets held on the exchange. But we thought FTX was was a walking red flag. I mean, they were they basically didn't seem to us to take care of any of the hard parts of running a crypto business, which was, you know, making sure you the right regulatory elements in place. We have plenty of stories about how their accounting was obviously sloppy. They were growing so fast that they couldn't have the right security protocols in place. And for us, they were a walking red flag. Now, the kind of malfeasance that we've seen play out in this space was very hard to predict from an outsider's perspective. But nonetheless, they were a walking red flag. And it was clear that Sam couldn't raise the money in 2022 that he could raise in 2021. So I don't mean to give too much on that, but I wanted to outline just the kind of nuance that you need to understand to avoid these blowups, which are all different. I can't point to one number that is going to make you avoid all three of these blowups. You have to look at these things closely, have yeah. a view, and stick with yeah. the view.
2: And, and just on the SBF side of it, and obviously t- timely in, in all that's, that's happening right now, just. You know, it just seems just the scale and all. in And, and to, to your point, you know, something the pieces didn't fit right. I just, you know, maybe we can further delve into that uh, in terms of how you guys look at that the risk and just like in terms of the systematic risk of such a large player like this. It, to me, that just is that to me is just just it's so profound that you know there was this this sleeping nightmare in the industry. And I mean, I, that's the part that I'm having a hard time reconciling. Uh, is that you know. How many other um, FTXs are there? And that, you know, if that, you, you know what I'm trying to say?
4: Well, I would say that there's no organization that I have the, uh, that I've observed the kind of red flags at FTX that I was, you know, that, that we did. You know, we have people that are close partners of ours in the Bahamas. And, you know, we had, you know, just as a small island, people meet each other. You know, they were giving, you know, people who had worked there for a couple months access to huge amounts of 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 customer crypto assets you know which is that you know a lot of hacks are kind of internally driven and so you know that was really where we saw the risk on that front and like i mean there was a lot that wasn't making sense to a lot of people i mean elon musk just expressed something that a lot of people were feeling about sam's involvement of twitter you know sam was saying oh i want to invest in twitter you know i have three billion dollars to invest that's sort of the story goes and Elon goes, does Sam really have $3 billion? I mean, I'm seeing him spend all this money on, you know, and I'm now I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, see, I spent all the money on sports stadiums. I'm hearing he's buying all these boats, like he's doing all this. There was a, there was a question of, like, where's his money all coming from? FTX was undercutting fees left, right, and center uh, in the industry. You know, there was this, you know, this, this, this relationship with Alameda that was it was a little too, th- th- like, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, Doomberg's highlight, Doomberg on, I heard Doomberg on the last thing, and he's highlighting a lot of, you know, why do you send, you know, why would anyone send a wire to Alameda when it's supposed to hit on FTX? Well, the reality of the situation is, is that if you're dealing with offshore platforms that, you know, are operating under different regulatory regimes, that's not, that's not completely unusual, right? right. And the way that trust has evolved in the crypto ecosystem is that, okay, there's some structural issues that crypto is trying to deal with, such as the fact that a lot of people can't get bank accounts, you know, with traditional financial and traditional financial players, so okay, you know, they have a couple entities that have bank accounts, a couple that don't, it's not the most unusual story. And the way you build trust with these things over time is basically based on how they operate and the flags that you create for that, right? So when you start, when everyone starts to say, how does Sam have all this money for Super Bowl commercials? You know, how does he, how does he do this? How does he do that? the response you know that's the first right question but the response then is like i don't know he's got so much money all over the place who know you know it's sam bangman fried so you know the, for, for for people to avoid those blow-ups they need to connect the, the uncertainty with the actual tough act of getting off the platform which was not easy because they were it was the best platform in crypto from my, in my opinion, from a retail, from a trading perspective, that yeah, some agreed, of the best, agreed. you know, risk systems, collateralization systems, the UI was really effective. So you had to leave that, leave all the liquidity on, on exchange for an opinion about SPF being a con artist that would have made the entire industry laugh at you. Right. So it's hard to be that person. In this space, and you know, I was negative on DeFi all of 2021, and you know, I became kind of an unpopular guy to have on podcasts and stuff because no one wanted to hear 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 that. But I don't care. Like, I'm not trying to build a business for. I'm not trying to top check our business's net worth here. I'm trying to build a 30 year business. So what do I care if like for one six month cycle, you know, my opinion's unpopular? If I really believe that it's the case, and so you know, if, to the extent that we've managed to, and it's a spicy industry. Look, like, if Doomberg's right about a whole bunch of other you know platforms blowing up. You know, who knows what the cascading effects are uh, everywhere, you know, even even in the impact on the banking infrastructure that crypto companies rely on. Who knows? Right. So, you know, it's not necessarily that we're out of the woods yet, but I definitely think that, you know, you know, our firm has shown that if you have a view that you can't no one can convince you of otherwise, that no one's convincing you that like giving you a strong argument to change your opinion why are you just going to go with the crowd you know like unless someone can give you a factual opinion to change your mind you're just going to roll over because everyone else is doing it i mean that's what happened across the industry left right and center and it's a very hard thing in the middle of, of it uh, of this to, to to have the courage of your convictions but that's what you need to do to survive now,
0: Steph, I, I wanted to ask you a good question before we wrap up. Um, so post the FTX collapse, have you either had to make any big changes in how you guys do business or are you seeing any interesting changes now in customers are using your platform or interacting with uh, DeFi and other parts of crypto?
4: Yeah. So, I mean, we are not, we don't, we don't really interact with DeFi and I wouldn't say that we have really any DeFi products besides the fact that we offer products on, you know, liquid curtains, liquid cryptocurrencies, some of which, you know, are decentralized, some of which are barely decentralized. Um, and so, you know, but in terms of what we've, what we've seen, so, you know, we have a derivatives business here that we're very proud of. We have very, uh, we have a very um, interesting structured products business that I think in, in future market cycles will give a lot of institutional um, access to the space in ways they haven't before that core product of ours involved exchange counterparty risk so there was like there were exchange there are there is exchange counterparty risk that clients were taking by buying those products and right now exchange counterparty risk is everyone's tip of their tongue no one wants to change counterparty risk now i i'll tell you in 2021 no one was talking about exchange counterparty risk. So these things can change very quickly, right? So I'm not sure that we're, like those products aren't gonna work in the future. Maybe we can find some creative solution. Maybe exchanges start to find ways to mitigate counterparty risk that we can get further comfortable with. But what we are seeing is uh, an interest in doing deriv- derivatives where, there is, where, where counterparty risk is, is, is greatly reduced. There's some structures in which you can do that that involve no, no counterparty risk to exchanges. They're a little less flexible. Uh, They're a little more vanilla, Um, but so we've, we've looked at, at adapting some of our products um, um, or some of the products that, um, you know, some of the products that we're, uh, we're, we're brokering trades into other products uh, or, you know, introducing clients to, to, to people who can do different kinds of trades. And we're getting a real influx of clients to, to us because a lot of our competitors just like, just closed down the other day. I mean, I would say. Out of the people that I would consider firms, I would consider competitors, I think four of them are out of business right now. Wow! And you know, four out of six or seven. So, and you know, the and 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 I would say that we're one of the only firms that that is still kind of taking those kind of calls right now. The other, a couple of the other firms are basically doing like no client business right now whatsoever because they're just completely reassessing. Um, and you know, we feel like we have a very clear line in what works and what doesn't work in this, in this industry. And we feel like we, as of right now we're vindicated, we're never getting cocky, always staying cautious. There's always new, a uh, new, uh, you know, wolf and sheep's clothing waiting around the corner in this space and there'll continue to be. So, um, you know, we're, we're pleased with our performance to date, but you know, we're, we're not sitting on our laurels.
0: Well, Steph, we always appreciate you stopping by and your willingness to talk to us because we know you see a lot of things. So it's always great to have a resource like you and FRNT to kind of ask what's going on and what what is
2: on your radar.
0: So uh, we, we definitely appreciate that.
2: And guys, uh, if you haven't signed up, FRNT.io forward slash uh, newsletter, or you can also follow Steph on, uh, on, um, uh, on Twitter. Uh, he's always dropping great gems of insight. Steph, thank you so much.
4: Thanks for setting this up, guys. That was great thank you Steph have a good one all right. You all right guys don't
0: go anywhere next we have James Saifart he's head of ETFs uh basically head of all uh, crypto ETFs at uh Bloomberg so don't go anywhere all right Grizzle crypto conference we're back at it and we're joined here by James Saifart he's ETF analyst at Bloomberg intelligence so we got a lot to talk about on grayscale and other topics like that so James thanks for being here
5: thanks for having me happy to be here
0: All right, so let's kick it off. I'm curious, you know, you see a lot of things going on in crypto and uh, the market in general. What have you been spending the most time watching and thinking about in in crypto specifically lately?
5: Yeah, so to be like abundantly clear, like I I tend to to cover the asset management industry as a whole. And within that, within my team, I've been covering crypto um, for the past four-ish years, officially, longer on a personal basis than unofficially. Um, So like anything that overlays that uh, linking between the traditional finance world and the decentralized finance or crypto world is typically where I sit. So I I cover a lot of grayscale. I'm watching a lot of what's going on with DCG, uh, grayscale, Genesis, all of those above. Um, and, but really GBTC is where my expertise sits and, and crypto ETFs more, more broadly speaking.
0: Great. So let's segue into that. Can you give everyone listening an update on kind of grayscale digital currency group situation? And what's the latest you're hearing, like, do you think grayscale Bitcoin trust survives in its current form with what you know right now?
5: So there's a lot of information out there on Twitter and just in the broader broader space. I don't agree with all of it. Um, the, the simple fact of the matter is we, there's, we don't know enough about what's going on between Genesis and DCG. We know there's a lot of loans going back and forth between both of them. DCG um, is the, the parent of Genesis, and we don't know how bad the liquidity or solvency issues are having a genesis and how much they'll affect ECG and therefore what that impact will be on grayscale and GBTC itself. Now, I don't think GBTC itself can survive in its current form much longer than in the next year or two. Um, they need to figure out a way to open redemptions. There's a lot of questions around whether or not they can just offer redemptions right now or whether or not they need some sort of exemptive release from the SEC, something known as a regulation exemption, which we can dive into a little bit further. Um, more interestingly, Grayscale itself is suing the SEC. Um, under an APA lawsuit, basically saying they're being arbitrary and capricious. Those are very specific legal terms in the approval of Bitcoin futures ETFs and the denial of spot Bitcoin ETFs, which GBTC wants to convert to. So I'm watching that very closely, um, and I'm working with. We have I work in a team of analysts that cover a multitude of different things. We have litigations analysts who cover that area. Now, more recently, Firtree Capital, which is a hedge fund, just filed a lawsuit against Grayscale, basically trying to get them to release a bunch of internal information and other documents to make sure that they were fulfilling fiduciary duties and a whole bunch of, hosts of other issues that they think might've happened. And for is of the firm opinion that if they wanted to, they could operate a redemption program as it is without any exemption, which I'm not sure I completely agree with, but I, I'm not a lawyer. So I, I really, there's no way to know for certain on my end. I've talked to a few people and it seems like a very gray area rather than a black and white issue.
0: So, so for people who don't know like the, the details of this, if I own Grayscale right now, just as a retail investor, could I just sell it? Uh, could I just redeem my, my shares or am I locked up?
5: So you can't redeem it, right? You can sell the shares in the open market, but what's going on right now, I'll actually look, I can. I have a live, it's trading at a 48.8% discount to the underlying value of the Bitcoin. So say Bitcoin's trading at 20,000, you're basically buying it at like 10,000 and change, is, essentially, that's the, the way that the math would work out. So like, if you wanted to sell, if you bought in at a premium or when it was closer to NAV, and now you're selling, like not only are you taking the 70% loss that Bitcoin has had over the past year, you're taking on additional losses because this trading is trading at a massive discount. The problem here is there's no way to to fix those things. There's no way to really get at the underlying Bitcoin value. You're stuck with the share price of GBTC and no way to access the underlying value of the asset. And that's where all of this confusion comes from. Um, And it's honestly... You could, I would make the argument that Luna and Terra is the one that caused this, like, these dominoes to fall. But one of the big dominoes that has allowed this to persist is the fact that there's no way to access that underlying GBTC. GBTC was used as collateral by 3AC. It was used in BlockFi loans. It was involved in many different areas. So if honestly, if GBTC had the ability to access these, Bitcoin, these underlying Bitcoin, we might not have seen the contagion grow as quickly or, or as staunchly as it did. Um, So Grayscale and GBTC is at the center of everything we're talking about over the last few
2: weeks.
3: Well, I I wanted to ask you too, as an ETF research analyst um, at Bloomberg Intelligence, do you think the FTX fallout could have been avoided if the US had like a stable spot Bitcoin ETF? Because obviously that pushed people to choose riskier options.
5: I, I would say that's definitely almost certainly the case for some small percentage of people. I mean, if you, uh, if I'm on, maybe for FTX US specifically too, because people knew that name was very well advertised, so people likely went there and there's no way to get access to spot Bitcoin. So like, I'll oh, just open an FTX US account. But for the other parts of the exchanges, the the offshore exchange, I mean, people on there, there's a lot of institutions, a lot of sophisticated people. There was people going on there to trade more than just buy Bitcoin. But anyone who bought sole like, Bitcoin exposure, yeah, they would have been much better suited to, to buying an SEC regular related spot Bitcoin ETF. Now obviously you'd still be down 70, 80% or whatever it is, but you're not looking at a zero or a couple cents on the dollar, which it looks like might happen after bankruptcy if you're an FTX customer.
0: Yeah. So I had two more follow-up questions on on grayscale. So you know in, in other parts of crypto like stable coins if investors really want to force the hand of the stablecoin or some other asset, you know, there's ways to put it in a lot of pressure and to say, break the peg, for example, but it sounds like with grayscale, it doesn't matter how much selling that goes on, right? The discount will just grow. So it doesn't actually force grayscale's hand to do anything like redemptions. Is that, is that correct?
5: Yeah. So there's, there's two things to dive into here, right? So the one reason that everyone wants an ETF, including Grayscale, it's just a more efficient vehicle. It's better for pretty much everyone involved. The downside for Grayscale is it would have outflows. So with an ETF, you have supply and demand, right? So whenever supply changes demand, or whenever demand changes, they can change supply to meet demand. So if there's a lot of demand for it, they can create more shares and it can happen basically instantaneously. Or if there's no demand, there's a lot of selling, they can destroy shares so that the nav and the price always stays in line with each other. With GBTC, there's no way to do that. There's no way to destroy shares or unlock the underlying value like you would an ETF. So what happens instead of outflows from GBTC, you just see massive discounts. So you see that discount, the value of the shares continually decrease compared to the value of the underlying Bitcoin that it's holding. So allowing for that conversion would solve the issue that we're talking about here.
3: And, and do you think GBTC has a good chance of getting converted into an ETF after all this happened or no?
0: A better or worse chance than before
5: FTX so i the way i look at it i i had so i'll go as i was on the record last year as thinking that i thought we were going to get a spot bitcoin etf in the second half of 2023 and part of that was because i thought there was this tail risk opportunity ironically ftx was doing things that would have made their ftx us market regulated under CFTC, which would have satisfied the requirements that the SEC set out for approving a spot Bitcoin ETF. There's also, as other many people will talk about, there was a lot of things going on in Congress, potential regulation, the SEC talking about doing different things that would allow for these exchanges to come under uh, their purview voluntarily. And uh, so I thought there was a tail risk that that might even happen earlier than the second half of 2023. So like that tail risk, I think is gone or tail, tail tailwind, if you will, because right now it's, it's, it's radioactive. Nobody wants to touch this. Um, I think there's potential that we're going to see like a bunch of regulation come out of this. It might take a few months or years. I I would never bet on Congress moving swiftly on anything, to be honest. But um, if it does happen, then that will be a benefit because once there is regulation set up or like an outline for people to follow, um, then all of a sudden it will satisfy a lot of the requirements the SEC is looking for. Um, Honestly, so my, my case right now is outside of literal act of Congress. I don't think a spot Bitcoin ETF is happening anytime soon. Um, so yeah, that that answers the question on that front. But I think I think there is going to be regulation. So this thing could spur more regulation to come more come quickly. And if we get that regulation, then all of a sudden we get a spot Bitcoin ETF, even though it should be hampering a lot of things going on in the crypto space. It might actually aid in the approval of the spot Bitcoin ETF. Okay.
0: So so just to help people who may be like, okay, what, what do I need to watch for to see what comes next in this saga? Do you think the uh, digital currency group who's the parent of Grayscale, right, they own a piece of Grayscale, do we need to see a resolution with them and whether they need to restructure or whether they go bankrupt
5: before we then have a resolution on Grayscale? So yes, I think that, I think the, I, the timeline for the Genesis and DCG to figure out what's going on there is shorter than the timeline we're gonna see anything from uh, courts in the Grayscale's lawsuit with the SEC, right? So that needs to be sorted out i don't i i'm not an expert on that i don't know exactly how it's going to be sorted out but that needs to happen first there's also the fir tree lawsuit which i'm not sure when that's going to happen we think that the court of appeals like i've talked to my i talked to my litigation analyst literally earlier today and they think um second half of 2023 is when we could see uh an answer from the courts uh possibly even earlier than that um but then there could be appeals so who knows how long that could happen with the grayscale s- lawsuit against the sec um, but this goes back to the whole issue of. I, I talked about those redemptions earlier, right? So part of the reason that DCGs in the trouble they're in, they issued a loan to three hours capital, a huge loan, many billions of dollars. And that's now been severely impaired. DCG basically took those assets that were impaired, the, the rights to, to go after whatever they get out of the 3AC uh, lawsuit or uh, bankruptcy. Um, but what they got in return, what Genesis got in DCG was they used GBTC as collateral. So this is actually hurting them on their balance sheet because GBTC is not cash or dollars, which is what Genesis as a lending arm will use. And it's not crypto, which again is the other side of what they would use. So you're stuck with this asset that has significant value. They have 35 million shares that they just got in one fell swoop when 3AC defaulted. And now there's limits on how much they can sell. So they're, they're basically, GBTC is offered under Rule 144, and there's limits on how much an as- associated subsidiary or parent or whatever can sell. They can only sell 1% of the outstanding shares on a th- every three months, right? So this thing, GBTC, or sorry, DCG, the, the parent company, uh, all its subsidiaries own about 69 million shares of GBTC. So, they can only sell six, they can basically only sell a small portion of that every three months. So, even if they wanted to liquidate their holdings and help their liquidity sleeves, there's no way for them to do it in a quick fashion. So, honestly, there's a lot of people saying they don't want to offer redemptions. I, I think if I'm DCG or Genesis, I want a way that I can actually offer redemptions without being in violation of Rule 144, which I don't think they can do. I, that's why I'm not so sure that like they like for lawsuit said, they think they can just offer redemptions immediately. I think if that were the case that DCG and Genesis would have figured out a way to do that, to access that underlying value, that underlying Bitcoin, because it would severely help their liquidity issues. Like I said, because it's not crypto and it's not assets. It's this like middle hybrid that they can't really do anything with. And it just sits on their balance sheet. They can't even sell it.
0: Yeah. So if that were true, there's actually an argument that furtree and and DCG may be aligned in wanting to find a redemption mechanism, but that's not happening right now.
5: Correct. Yeah. Ryan of uh, Masari often writes about how they need this reg M exemption, which on, I think that would be the best case scenario for everyone involved because they'd be able to access the underlying Bitcoin in some way because they could offer a redemption program. Um, but Tree thinks they don't even need that. I just don't know that I think the SEC would be willing to just grant a regulation M exemption, which regulation M is basically designed to prevent like manipulation. They don't want people creating shares and liquidating shares with fake values of the underlying. And you can just kind of Basically, make up what things are worth, which obviously isn't the case for Bitcoin. There's a full market for it, Um, so it's designed to prevent that. But I just don't see the SEC, based on what we've seen from Gensler on the crypto space, what we've seen his comments about crypto ETFs and Bitcoin ETFs. Like, I don't just see them willy-nilly just giving a Reg M exemption. Like some people seem to think, just apply for it and you'll get it. This will be better for investors, but it's been better for investors this whole time to have an ETF, and they haven't done it. So I don't think I don't know why anyone think it's just going to be guaranteed that they're getting this Reg M exemption to to create a redemption program for GBTC. Yeah, it's never that easy.
3: I'm curious, because before you talked about how GBTC is trading at over a 40% discount to its NAV um, overseas, did Spotcoin Bitcoin ETF stay relatively close to their net asset value during the FTX fallout? And how does the discount they experienced compare to GBTC?
5: So there was no discount. It, it, it traded completely in line, the spreads were tight. Uh, basically the ETF wrapper is extremely, extremely efficient. It's true, it's it's tried and tested, right? So like this, these things, the ones in, in Europe, the ones in Canada, even the futures ETFs we have here in the US, they traded tightly, their volume spiked, the spreads did not go anywhere. They traded in line with the underlying value of the Bitcoin. There was no hiccups really whatsoever. Um, so, that just gives you strength to the actual ETF wrapper, um, but obviously hinders uh, why the GBTC is not the most efficient vehicle. So, you have people going to things like GBTC, uh, you have them going to um, Michael Saylor's company, you have all these MicroStrategy, you have all these different areas of people trying to get access on the traditional financial rails that just isn't the most efficient vehicle to do it. So, right now in the US, the most efficient vehicle, if you want it in your traditional financial rails, is the Bitcoin Futures ETF, which obviously has its own issues, which we can dive into if you want to. but there's, there's issues with that as well.
4: Yeah.
0: So uh, before we run out of time, I just wanted to ask your your take on, you know, what you've seen and and what everyone's talking about as far as the contagion, like do you think it's run its course or does it generally need some type of resolution we haven't gotten the resolution is it some somebody else has to fail or we need to get proof of reserves or like we're, what's your feeling on whether we're through the worst of it.
5: I I personally a think there's question. Going to be another Yeah, it's a very loaded <laughs> question and like I said I tr- I tr- Mainly sit in the tradfi side, but I tend to think that there's going to be more shoes to shoes to drop. I mean, you just know that, like in the in some of these bankruptcies, a lot of the creditors don't want to be known, which is not normal. So that means there's there's obviously weaknesses there. There's been so much just interlinking of all these different parties um, that we didn't know about beforehand, right? So there's just a lot of things that's too opaque. Ironically, the the crypto space was supposed to be um, completely transparent. You're supposed to see everything on a blockchain. And I feel like every couple of weeks, I just find out about this relationship that I'm like, that should not have happened. That should not be allowed. So I just don't see any stop to that. We're getting more and more information um, from John Ray. He testified in front of Congress today with the FDX situation. It just seems to keep getting worse and worse. Um, So yeah, I... I, (laughs) I'm not sure the contagion is over and I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on it being over.
0: Well, James Safar, thanks so much for being on with us and for anyone watching who wants to follow you and see what you're talking about, what's the best place to find you? I mean, obviously on Bloomberg is there, is Twitter a good spot to, to see what you're, you're talking about?
5: Yeah. So outside, outside the terminal, um, it's definitely um, going to be on the on Twitter. My, my team and I are very active. Um, Covering the the ETF space and and tangentially we end up covering a lot of crypto just because there's such a huge push from asset managers even crypto companies to get um, on the traditional financial rails to give access to to crypto and Bitcoin. Um, so I cover that space pretty closely and I interact with a lot of people on there. You
3: awesome. can follow him at @jseyff in case anyone's wondering what his handle is.
5: <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, James, thanks so much for being Thank with you. us. Thank you very much. Happy to be here.
0: Everyone, don't go anywhere. We got a big guest next. It's Mr. Ben Hunt. You might know him as Epsilon Theory. He's been a thorn in the side of SPF, so we got a lot to talk about. Don't go anywhere. All right. Welcome back to Grizzle. We're joined by Ben Hunt. You may know him as Epsilon Theory on Twitter, and his his uh, he writes for Epsilon Theory. We're going to talk more about that. So welcome, Ben.
6: Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: Thank you, Ben. Uh, ben, for those who don't know, you write a, uh, Epsilon Theory is wonderful. I mean, get, get, let people know uh, what Epsilon Theory is. Uh, I'm a subscriber and, and just, you know, get, you, what the offering there and, and uh, the great insights that you provide uh, on your website.
6: Well, thanks. Thanks for that. No, we started, I started writing Epsilon Theory 10 years ago and it's a, uh, you know, just started as just a, an email. I was sending some colleagues. I, I ran a a decent-sized hedge fund for a long time, and uh, uh, just word of mouth—it uh, just kept growing and growing. So, uh, started uh, getting taking subscriptions for it uh, a little over four years ago, and we've got about oh, it's, it's well over a hundred thousand readers now. Uh, wow! So it's been yeah, no, it's it's, it's, it's been crazy. Congrats!
3: Congrats.
6: Well, you, well, look, it's it's just a different way of looking at things. I think uh, you know, it there's zero touting. Right. I I mean, there's never talk about any sort of specific investments. It's really talking about how to understand the world of markets and investing for sure, but also the world of politics, looking at through the lens of narrative Uh, and not just looking at that, talking about narratives and kind of, uh, you know, wave your hands at it in a, in a in a non-systematic way, but really talk about, well, how do we measure narratives? How how do we understand how those merit narratives change and how does that impact us as investors and as citizens?
0: Got it. Now, Ben, you've done some really great work on the FTX bankruptcy. So we'll get into that. Thank but you. I maybe just wanted to start it off with a higher level on kind of what should we take away from the failures of these different crypto exchanges like Yes, it looks like there probably was fraud there, but was a bigger problem? Just there was a lot of incompetence and bad risk management. The people managing these companies maybe were younger. No, they didn't it, it, like, no, what do you think it was?
6: Not a, no, the, the fraud is the problem, <laughs> right? the, 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 the fraud <laughs> is the problem. And, and, and what I mean by that is that in so many respects, what we've seen through all of the, the, the crypto yield programs, the the crypto exchanges and the like. This is old wine in a new bottle. The new bottle is the world of crypto. Right? But the scams, the frauds, it's, it's old hat, guys. I mean, this is stuff that's been going on for decades, for centuries, really. I mean, it just follows all the classic patterns of just outright fraud. And what I take away from it is what you're seeing in the hearings today. And we'll be having lots more hearings, I promise you that. But the but the outcome of this is what always happens with financial innovation. And what happens is that the state comes in and papers it over. It, it, it always leads to more state power. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we're going to see here.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: And that it's, it's, it's frustrating to me because I'm, I'm, I'm such a big fan of, I'll call it the, you know, work with words for a living, but I don't have a much better phrase for it than the positive energy that I associate with crypto in general, with, with Bitcoin for sure, it, that by positive energy, I mean a spirit of entrepreneurialism, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean yeah. a spirit of, per, of personal autonomy, And that energy, that effort, a long time horizon, all these things that I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. But because it's been applied to the world of money, because then that then attracts both the incumbent and newcomers to applications of fraud, (laughs) the result of that is always, always that the government comes in and just kills everything. And it, it, it becomes it becomes an exercise then in in more extension of state power. And that's what we're going to have. I like to, to refer to it, it's Bitcoin becomes Bitcoin with jazz hands, Bitcoin <laughs> TM. I'm really serious. It's a representation of Bitcoin. But it's 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 in, in partnership with Wall Street and government, it becomes something very different. It becomes co-opted. It's never banned. That that never happens with financial innovation. Yeah. It's always absorbed and co opted. And it's always absorbed and co opted on the heels of con men and frauds, like Bankman Freed. Mm-hmm this is this is the process. Uh, and I give you a dozen examples of of how this goes forward uh, or how this has happened in the past and it's happening here once again.
2: And, and just on that so it's it's an interesting you know the the connection there of financial innovation is always met with, with, yep. with, with almost a heavier hand. and um, is, in that in in that construct, do you see an opportunity for Bitcoin? Uh, I mean, not just like to live in a world like gold that you maybe just, I wanted to flesh out that part of. of
6: sure. The no, I mean, gold's a great example. All right. Because, and what happened with gold and you saw it with the introduction of a gold ETF, what, what happened with gold is that the the meaning of owning gold changed. It changed from, you know, whatever. And why ever people wanted to own physical gold. It, it transformed it into a financial instrument, a security that could certainly be used by a lot more people, but the meaning of it changed to a, essentially an insurance policy against central bank error. That's the meaning of gold as a security today. Now that was wonderful for all of the controllers of flow, which is Wall Street. Wall Street is a flow business. Right? It's not whether the price is up or down, right? It's, it's what flows through, the, the money that flows through that Wall Street can take a small market-making you know, piece out of. That's where the real money is. The real money is in flow, not in price. And a gold ETF was a wonderful thing for flow. But what it left behind were the, everyone who was owning gold, physical gold, for their own reasons. You became a gold bug. And, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, I'm sympathetic, frankly, to, because I'm an old white guy, right? Of course I'm sympathetic to gold bugs and talking about, oh, you know, the world's going to hell and it's all going to be awful. You got to own your gold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sympathetic to it, but I got to tell you, it's a miserable way to live. It's a miserable it way is. to
0: live. You know, Tom, he he mentions that a lot. You know, he just says, it's not how I want to live my life. but he but he doesn't
2: right. get it. Yeah, Hi. so Ben, you know, in a, in a past life, I managed the precious metals fund in Canada, um, and uh, so I met my fair share of gold bug. The problem right. is, is, is you know, just the uh, the cup half full kind of, you know, you know, uh, the wor- world, <laughs> the world is ending, you know, you, like, you know, I, th- there's a there's a classification that I, you know, I enjoy, which listen, there's a protection, just leave it and you know, live a good life. But once you get into full gold bug territory, you almost just kind of go down this spiral absolutely uh,
6: which coming you know, back to,
2: it, 20, to your original words which were really powerful that that uh, idea of entrepreneurship and all that that's almost the antithesis of a gold book
6: correct and and my, my real concern here is that as bitcoin becomes bitcoin trademarked with you know full visibility of government into who owns it and there you know the notion of having your own wallet or any sort of autonomy you know forget that what are you in favor of terrorism, right? You're either a criminal or a, you know, a terrorist, right? And then what that does is that shunts the meaning of Bitcoin, OG Bitcoin into that gold bug territory. And, and, And that's just so sad, but that's exactly what happens with financial innovation. You, you lose that positive energy, that sense of, of independence, of autonomy. It, it, It gets subverted, and it gets crushed. And that makes me really sad, but that's where this is going, right? We have to live in the world as it is. This is where it's going. And so what's, I think, so critical is to find ways to express that autonomy, independence, entrepreneurialism, and the like without being crushed by these forces that are happening right now. And you know, there's lots of blame to go around, and the the, the first blame is on the the Wall Street. I'd like call them raccoons, right? And, and and it's it's the fraudsters, it's the con men, <laughs> they're the ones who ruin it for everyone. And here we go again.
0: Now, now Ben, you've done such good work on FTX and uh, put out some very Thank thoughtful um, threads on Twitter. So I wanted to ask you about one of them. You know, after you've been digging through these basically crazy lending arrangements between BlockFi, Voyager, FTX, Alameda. Do you think the crypto lending market is basically a house of cards at this point or, or, or what's going on?
6: Well, it's not at this point. It, it, it always was. And and in so many respects, Alameda was kind of the, uh, the supposedly the terra firma of this. Here, here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. With any sort of yield program, there has to be something that is actually making money. Some real world activity that is actually making money to right. supply the yields that then trickle down, that that you know, intermediaries can capture a spread. You know, something has to be happening, right, to, to drive it. Or or the the whole enterprise of, oh, you know, why is your crypto just sitting there? You should be getting some yield on it. Well, why, why should I be getting some yield on it, yeah. right? Is, is, is staking some sort of like, you know, real world activity that is, is, can, <laughs> yeah. can, accommodate, can accommodate tens of billions of dollars in, in yield product? Okay. But, but Alameda was this magical money machine, right? And so they were offering, oh, give us your money. We'll guarantee you 15% and you can call the loans back anytime. It was just a classic ponzi scheme and yet because we want to believe so much and because there are so many like I say incumbent and newcomer fraudsters who see this as fantastic, right? I'll I'll play along. I'll ride this wave of the Alameda Ponzi yeah. to create my own you know yield program. I'll ride this wave as long as I can if we can fake it till we make it. <laughs> what's wrong with that? Right? So it's 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 not that this has become a house of cards, is that there was no there there from the outset. And what really makes me angry, guys, I gotta tell you, is that when these sort of programs are marketed to the big boys, fine. If you're if if you don't see what's going on, more power, you know yeah <laughs> you know your own problem what yeah, really yeah. bothers me though about all these is how they're they're marketed to and i don't mean this pejoratively retail <laughs> to just ordinary people they've got some money squirreled away they've got some money they want to try this and and they think that they're a depositor in something like blockfi BlockFi had no depositors they had unsecured creditors right, right? blockfi you yeah, they paid a hundred million dollar fine because they use the language of banking and safety when there was nothing banking and safe about it so that that's what really gets me right and that's why i get angry when i write and when i do my tweets in this real effort to try to uncover frankly the truth so that you can make up your own damn mind about whether you want to participate or not that's it And you know,
2: I guess Ben, just you're thinking out loud here on on, you know jazz hands, Bitcoin, and I I like that term a lot. Is there um, from this? Do you see any silver lining that you know that that we we come up come away with something out of crypto that that is um functional and and enhances like you know as you put it uh you know you can't create yield where there is none you know there's that whole like world of of magic money uh that just goes away but i'm just kind of curious you know where you know where you see this if there's anything we can pull out of this obviously outside of bitcoin
6: look there's got to be you know for 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 my view from my perspective an attempt to kind of recapture the og ideals of Bitcoin. That only happens if you crush number go up. I mean, just crush it. You yeah. crush the Michael Saylors and the micro strategies of the world. I mean, don't get me started on Saylor and, <laughs> you know, his fraud from you know the dot com era. I, I mean, it, people don't change their stripes. And that's very true for the people who get uh, the, the Wall Street crowd that wants to convince you that it's a number-go-up story and that you should buy their version, their wrapper, whatever that is, that turns Bitcoin into Bitcoin. (laughs) I I think all of that's got to be crushed. I I don't think it will be crushed because government comes in, there's too much money to be made from Bitcoin. So if there's money to be made, government and Wall Street will make the money. So I'm, I'm not terribly optimistic, frankly. I would love to see this energy and entrepreneurialism and autonomy of mind applied outside of the world of money. But um, I, I, unless that gets obliterated, then I think you've got a, a reservoir population, as they would say in uh, you know the study of viruses and diseases. <laughs> Right. And, and so far, as long as you've got that, virus, that that reserve population, reservoir population of raccoons and fraudsters, it's hard for me to see a lot of positivity that comes out of this.
2: Well, and the other side of that, Ben, too, is you've got a reservoir population of degenerate gamblers that this all created.
6: Yeah, yeah, sure. And I, and I speak as one, right? I, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I get it. Honestly, I get it. And I, and, I'm, and I'm not opposed to a casino and frankly, a regulated casino. Mm-hmm. But what I'm, as a human being, much more interested in is life outside the casino. And it's so long as the casino is where all the attention is placed and where all the neon signs are pointing. It's very hard to get attention to be paid outside of the casino, even though as a human being, that's where I think it's so much more important. Wow.
0: Well, Ben, I think think we got to end on that note, but thank you so much for your thoughts and for coming on uh, Grizzle Crypto.
6: My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Ben, thank
0: you so much. All right, everyone, don't go anywhere. The the guests keep rolling. Next, we're going to talk to Lawrence Leopard of Equity Management Associates, so don't go anywhere. All righty, everyone. Okay. Welcome back to Grizzle Crypto from the ashes. You know we got to thank our sponsors, otherwise this wouldn't be possible. So Tom. Yeah. Well, up. you
2: know, wonderful partners. You know, real partners, extended partners. Yeah. More than uh, sponsors. Yeah. Well, you know, it's you know these these guys are the guys who uh, you know all came together. I really it's all our guests. Uh, but you know, a special thank you out to Doomberg. he uh Been with us since uh, since you know really the 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 Grizzle uh, conference series began. Uh, can't uh, can't thank the team over there enough uh their their quality and thought on on all topics uh related to finance the number one finance uh sub in the world uh, doomberg, uh, dot com. epsilon theory you just heard from the man uh ben hunt that was a deep deep discussion um if you want there was more heart in that yeah, discussion yeah, yeah. no <laughs> that was like you know that was like uh yeah, that, yeah a, a very beautiful discussion there um uh, epsilon theory is a website community examine social uh worlds of po- politics and investing through lens uh lens of narrative uh go check Check out Epsilon Theory, and finally, we just launched Grizzle Research and Quant. That is Grizzle's contribution to Substack. Um, a little different take. Uh, you know, we 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 research companies. Uh, you know, that's uh, you know we we're stock pickers, but we also are providing. Uh, a take on analysis through the quantitative lens and portfolio construction—something we feel is missing in the dialogue of investing—and uh, I think it's something important that uh, that all investors should consider. Uh, that's our, you know, that's our take here. Where, where do we find that? Uh, that's at uh, GrizzleResearch.substack.com.
0: All right, and now we're excited to have Lawrence Leopard. He's a lead manager at Equity Management Associates. Lawrence, welcome. all right we're joined by lawrence leopard equity management associates how are you
7: i'm great thanks uh, appreciate you having me on your show thank you very much
0: so lawrence i i want to just kick things off with with bitcoin you know has anything about bitcoin's behavior in the last two years compared to say maybe the five years before that has it changed your opinion on how bitcoin should fit into a portfolio over a whole market cycle not you know over a year or something like that i.e it's been heavily correlated to Nasdaq lately. Does that worry you?
7: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I, I bought my first Bitcoin in 2013, and I bought a lot in 2017, and then I rode through the bear market following that. So I this isn't my first time watching this thing go, you know, up a ton <laughs> yeah. and then come back down a ton. Uh, and uh, you know, back then it wasn't as correlated with the Nasdaq. It wasn't widely known or traded, but. Um, mm-hmm. You know it, it look there's certain elements of bitcoin that attract a quote unquote risk on crowd and you know just kind of the whole number go up crowd and you know they chase price performance and yeah. and you know those people rent it right they, they rent it they buy it because they think it's going up and they you know they listen to plan b or they're you know they've um you know whatever they're, they're people who pump the hell out of it and so they chase it the same way that people chase tesla and they chased other you know meme stocks and so forth um that's not who I am, and that's not you know why. What I consider to be long-term hodlers buy it. Long-term hodlers buy it because it's a new technology. It's fundamentally different. It represents something that the world never had before. It's you know, quote unquote, digital scarcity, yeah. and um, and and that's that's a technical innovation. You know, very much in the way. I mean, I, I I encourage people to think of it as like you know, before we had the printing press, it you know, you just you couldn't multiply. The printed word i mean you had to have monks copying the bible one at a time or copying stories or whatever writing them down one at a time and the printing press came along changed the whole game and and so you know this is a similar kind of technical innovation there was no digital scarcity in the world until bitcoin arrived And bitcoin arrived it brought digital scarcity and that's an enormous development it's a very important development and you know it's it's been adopted over the 14 years it's been in existence but in, in really, in true form, we're really still in very, very early days. You know, we're just starting to reach that tipping point where it's gotten out so that most everybody's now heard of it. I mean, in 2013, no one had heard of it. 2017, very few people have heard of it. And now pretty much everybody's heard of it, which is not to say everybody's bought it because probably the number of people who bought it is still less than 10% of the United States and certainly less than that if you consider the entire world. But, um, you know, so so it you know, does it correlate with the Nasdaq at times? Yeah, it did, uh, because it was a risk on trade. But um, you know, I think over a longer period of time it's going to, you know, become a risk-off trade. And I know that's hard for people to believe given the price volatility that we've seen, but it, it does represent a form of money um or a proxy for money that can't be printed by the government. And I would actually argue that you know, printed money is the real risk on trade. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, Laura, she, just on that and you know, this is something I've thought about, it, uh, is the fact that we're just so early right now in, in bitcoin and that's where a lot of the volatility is being yeah. expressed and it just i just you know i think back to like you know how volatile was gold during jesus baby jesus or something you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, like, right. you know,
7: we don't know right there's no data but you know i don't know how you know
2: what the price would be you know i gotta get, get something for jesus you know he's morning you know I mean? like yeah. wait, how volatile is the pricing day to day? but the question is is that like obviously Bitcoin was born in the in the era of social media. It almost in at that point of like, you know, you have just so much of the the for lack of a better term, the pump. I I just don't know how that goes. You know, I, I I struggle thinking about how that dynamic of people just getting excited, then giving it the correlation to NASDAQ and risk assets. I just it's it's just gonna be more money that flows in there and just kind of gives it the anchor. I'm just trying to think out think about that out loud, if you will
7: yeah i mean look i i don't know the answer none of us know i mean it's a wild beast it's hard to predict i mean i often say the volatility is because we're trying to put the ocean into a swimming pool and we've got to expand the swimming pool until the ocean gets in there and and another thing that drove the volatility this past cycle i think far too few people focus on was that in an era of free money and a lot of other cryptos out there around it as well you know there's just a lot of leverage being used and you know we all know leverage can lead to volatility. I mean, a leverage allows you to play much bigger than, you know, than your equity would suggest, and so it can really drive price swings. Wherever there's leverage, you can get crazy price swings and you can get bubbles. I mean, 2008 was leverage in real estate and look at the bubble we created there, you know. The dot-com bubble, you know, had some leverage involved. I mean, so, you know, and and what what happens is you you, you get You know, we're all hardwired to herd to a certain degree, right? We see, you know, because that was a survival mechanism, you know, oh, danger, let's run this way. Oh shit, they must know something. I'm gonna run that way too. Right. So we all we all herd together until somebody realizes, hey, there is no danger here, let's you know, let's stop going that direction. And and that's you know, we tend to herd into investment. So number go up, you know, tends to attract more number go up until it doesn't, until people realize, hey, we're we're way too far out over our skis here. Um, You know, the value is not there yet, the real buyers aren't there yet, the marginal buyer disappears, and then the price comes crashing back down to earth. Um, You know, it's going to take time for this thing to be more fully distributed and for more people to understand what it really is. I have seen studies that show that as volatile as it is today, the volatility is decreasing with time, which is what you would expect. Right. you would expect that as you get more and more. I mean, look, gold is volatile to a degree. I mean, the gold price yeah. goes up and down. Um, not the way Bitcoin does, obviously, but it, it's gone up and down. Over well, Larry, down. You, you know the
2: problem with gold, it just doesn't go up.
7: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you've been looking at the last few years for sure. That's the truth. That's the truth. I mean, it does if you consider that, you know, in 1971, it was at $35, and now it's at 17 So, you know, for, it depends on what lens you're using, right? What time frame you're looking at. Over longer time frames. Gold has gone up and it's been shown to hold its purchasing power, you know, the whole story of a uh, one ounce coin would buy a toga in Roman times, it'll buy a men's suit today. So, you know, there is a certain amount of stability to it on a longer time frame. But yes, in the short run, it's volatile too. Um, But...
2: Well, Larry, right. on that point, and, and just just you know, I I, I kid, right? Obviously, like uh, you know, our um, the, you know our partner uh, Chris Wood, uh, you know, he he's uh, previously still so has he just says, listen, for for a Japanese uh, citizen, it you know, it, it's it's been quite good over the last year, right? Gold,
7: gold, oh yeah. you know, no, gold is making they, new highs in several currencies, you know, particularly I mean Turkey, boy, yeah. you really you know, and the story was in Turkey, all the old people were buying gold, and all the young people were buying crypto, right?
2: Well, that's the point. I, you know, I wanted to talk to you about that, like, you know, in terms of stratification here and how you think about it. Um, a, do you own, you know, is gold a part of your overall mix, like, you know, and maybe, maybe just compare and contrast. Like, is this this generational split where, oh, cool. uh, from an asset allocation perspective, yeah,
7: yeah. Let just, me let me talk about that because yes, so I manage a I manage a fund, and the fund's goal is to protect you from monetary debasement, which I believe is. Kind of a mathematical and cultural certainty i mean i suppose if government suddenly got responsible and spent within their means i could be proven wrong but we all kind of laugh when we hear that concept um so you know i manage a sound money fund and, and the the bulk of the money in that fund is in gold and gold related gold and silver related items okay. and the reason for that is that you know professional investors or people who give me their money to me to invest they don't want to have 70 percent drawdowns they don't care if it can go up 10x A 70% drawdown just scares the living shit out of them. So, you know, my fund might be, call it 85% gold and silver related things and 15% Bitcoin related things. So I still got some upside from the Bitcoin, but not as much. I mean, just so people would know personally, I'm about 50% in my fund and about 50% in Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin is the fastest horse in the monetary debasement race. I think it's going to do much better. But, you know, over a long time, it's already crushed gold in its brief life. I think it'll continue to do that. Eventually, it'll demonetize gold. But in the short run, that's going to take years. And in the short run, you know, there, there are two things to consider with an asset. How much can it go up? And then what's the standard drawdown? So if you're 70 or 80 years old, and you got $10 million and you put it all in Bitcoin, you have an 80 percent drawdown. So your 10 million becomes two, you know, and you've got a, a, you're 80 years old. So you've got maybe a 10 year time window or something. You know, that's pretty shitty and pretty scary. You know, you, you can't handle that drawdown. If you're thirty years old and you put all your money in Bitcoin and it has a drawdown, you know it's gonna recover and go into higher numbers. You don't care, right? And so there's so there's kind of a time preference based on age. And you know, the largest annual gold drawdown that I can recall seeing is close to thirty percent. And it's very rare. Most years it goes up or the years it's down, it's down a small amount. Whereas as we all know, in the Bitcoin case, there have been multiple seventy percent drawdowns, multiple. So um, you know, when you enter an asset, you got to ask yourself am I willing to endure that drawdown to get to the promised land of, you know, $200,000 Bitcoin or $1 million Bitcoin, which I believe we will reach. I'm not sure exactly the time frame, nobody can be. Um, but if you're not if you want to have sound money, and the way I portray these two things, I call gold analog sound money. I call Bitcoin digital sound money. I love that. That's, yeah. man, that's, great. that's great. Right? And you know, it's it's kind of correct, right? And you know, and so, um, and I think that everybody should own both. And I, you know, if I were 30, I'd probably own 100% Bitcoin. And if you're 90, you know, you probably want to own 90% gold and 10% Bitcoin. I mean, I, you know, I think everybody should balance these two sound money bets. I mean, you should have you should have your sound money bucket of assets. Yep. I mean, you should probably have some real estate assets and some cash assets, and maybe some common stock assets. Although I think in general right now, most common stocks are pretty overpriced. Right. But, you know, you want to have a portfolio that reflects a lot of different things. So, that, you know, no matter I mean, the, cert, the future is always uncertain. Right. And so, you know, risk diversification you know, suggests that you try to have a bunch of things. And, um, you know, I, I think everybody has to make their own choice of how how much I mean, I think I think if we continue to have monetary debasement, and I believe with a high probability sure. that we will, Bitcoin will go higher and gold will go higher. Bitcoin will probably go higher in a faster way. But also in a more volatile way, and so I would suggest that you know you can kind of look at these maybe the way people used to look at stocks and bonds, where you know gold is more like the bond and Bitcoin is more like the stocks. You know. Great point. Um,
0: Now, before we run out of time, I want to th- throw up a good chart uh, that you you retweeted yesterday. Um, it's it's looking at um, Fed funds rate and then also kind of what's priced in as far as the market's expectations. So. Yeah. It shows that investors are very sure the Fed will have to cut rates over the next 18 months. Are you not as sure?
7: No, I'm pretty sure they will as well. Um, I None of us know the timing, um, but that's what the forward futures curves are showing. It's what the euro dollar curve is showing. It's what the market is sniffing out. It's what you know the gold and silver are starting to sniff out. The charts are looking pretty strong right now. Um, and it's it, it tracks with what we see going on in the economy, which is, what you know, Mohammed el Arian said it, he said, you know, the, the Fed slammed on the brakes and the economy is in the process of going through the windshield. Um,
6: and, yeah, right. and, you know,
7: when the economy goes fully through the windshield and things really start to break, even if inflation's 5%, they're not going to be worried about inflation anymore. They're going to be worried about saving the economy. Yeah. And so my sense is at that point in time, they will be forced into pivoting again. Um, and, and there are a lot of other reasons that that's the case as well. I mean, they're, they're running much larger than expected deficits. Um, they, you know and that's the result of the higher cost interest rate costs on the debt and the you know the, uh, there, there are a lot of things going on that're going to drive them to have to start printing again I mean Max Kaiser said it so so well I mean you can't taper a Ponzi scheme and a fiat a fiat <laughs> currency a fiat currency based on a fiat currency system based on continual money growth and credit growth yeah. you know you can you can stop the money growth you can stop the credit growth you can do it what Volcker did and jam the rates up high enough to create, you know, positive real yields and and a lack of growth in the money supply, but guess what? In a highly indebted system, it'll collapse. Yeah. You know, um, and so and, and, that's what's and Larry, happening.
2: that's that's the fundamental difference. Like it, it just the fact that everyone's was well, you know, we're going to do a Volcker. Well, the, the difference is how much debt we've accumulated
7: since. March. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we're at one hundred thirty percent debt to GDP. When Volcker did it was thirty you know and 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 there's just there's debt everywhere there's leverage absolutely everywhere and and liquidity there's going to be a real premium you know if we have we are in kind of a deflationary period right now you know not not severe yet but going there and you're seeing it you're seeing signs of it I mean look look at Blackstone gating their real estate fund and then you know Starwood following with suit and gating their real estate fund I mean you know that's basically they're just saying hey you know we we can't meet all your liquidity needs and so you know you can't pull your money out of here you know yeah, Larry, like, you,
2: right? like how big of a deal that is that like like to me that just feels like like this is one of the largest real estate funds and they're just saying wait a minute you know
7: what well I mean? they, what they would say is hey we told you that when you invested yeah, but but yeah. what i don't think what i don't think people have realized i mean it's like so many things it goes it's like FTX right it goes you're you're comfortable having your money there until you're not and there's nothing scarier than you have your money someplace and you go and you say hey i want my money back and they kind of say well we you know sorry we can't give it to you and then you really start to get scared right you know yeah. holy shit, is this money good and 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 you know have i been rugged here and um yeah, yeah you know that that we're seeing that pattern you know more and more in different places and uh you know it's not a good pattern it, it uh it makes everybody you know it, it, it's it's the reason why people in the gold space and the people in the in the bitcoin space say you know not your keys not your coin or not your gold not in your position not possession not really your gold i mean there's a lot of paper gold yeah, out yeah. There, right yep. so
2: and and larry just just you know um that bitcoin africa i don't know if you follow i i found that so profound like that to me if you talk about you know not trusting central banks uh well yeah. let's go to emerging markets with you know uh like like you, you, you got entire populations that could really, um, you know, just step off oh, yeah. these these absolute banana currencies, right?
7: Yeah, that, I mean, Alex Gladstein wrote a book called "Check Your Financial Privilege," which is a fabulous book. I encourage everybody to read it because it just it's so hopeful for the future. And it talks yeah. about an important issue here. It has a lot more to do with the number go up, right? I mean, right. People in emerging people in emerging economies all over the world have been screwed for 50 years by their local currency boards and so forth and you know they just they, they can they're continually you know inflated away debased their money is seized whatever it might be like in Cyprus you know and, and 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 bitcoin represents money that governments can't mess with and it's it's a lifesaver for people and it's why the use cases in some of these third world countries you know and that's why El Salvador adopted it I mean the use cases are absolutely compelling, and it's changing lives. It's making the world a literally better place. The fact that these people can now save in a currency, even though it's volatile, they can save in a currency that will not be depreciated by by the government. And, And over time, it will grow in value because there's a fixed supply. It's therefore a deflationary currency. I mean, you know, we've got 8 billion people and 21 million Bitcoin. I mean, being a yeah. whole coiner someday it'll be that'll really matter. I mean, eight million Wait, people, twenty-one well, million coins, right? Well,
2: well, Larry, like just on that point, and, you know, just just on um the fact that this could be like you know, Bitcoin as a transactional currency, right? And and yeah. this is something gold. Obviously, you know, at the time of yeah, that's long was, gold. <laughs> it, yeah. but it's not it can't like it's never going to do it as well right now. I just wonder, you know, this is this really is gold 2.0 right in the sense. Oh, that absolutely.
7: You, now, Bitcoin you, is clearly You're getting Bitcoin the transactional aspect of it. Yeah. Bitcoin is clearly digital gold and Bitcoin will ultimately flip gold, but it's not going to happen overnight. I get very tired of all the Bitcoin people saying gold's a piece of shit, and all the gold people saying Bitcoin's a piece of shit. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they both they both exist. They both have a role. They you know they're different. Um, there's you know um, you know I mean before two thousand eight, gold was your only choice. I mean, thankfully, you now have the Bitcoin choice. Um, you know the the rails are getting built. I mean, most of your listeners are probably familiar with the Lightning Network. I mean, the Lightning Network is going to change the world. I mean, you, you download a MUN wallet, I can send you any amount of dollars instantaneously for less than a fifth of a penny. I mean, it's, it's really pretty stunning. And, okay. you know, think about remittances, just, you know, the people who have relatives working in the U.S. and they're sending something home, you know, to them to help support them. I mean, they used to get ripped off by Western Union and the bodega owner and all the, along the way, you know, they might make a few hundred bucks and they might see 70% of what they made because of all the fees they paid and getting it from, you know, the U.S. to where they are. Now they can send it out of MUN wallet for less than a penny you know, a transaction, it's kind of stunning. And, and this kind of these kinds of use cases, they're just going to continue to grow adoption everywhere. And as more and more people use it, you know, I go back to the basic math, 8 billion people, 21 million coins, do the math, right? I mean, this is not, this is not hard. I mean, you know, people ask me, they say, what would what would make you be concerned about Bitcoin, you know, worried about your Bitcoin investment. And I said, you know, I would be concerned if less people if the use cases disappeared, people lost interest, and less people are using it. Yep. But what I see is the exact opposite of that. Use hmm. cases are growing, usage is growing, addresses are growing, adoption is growing. You know, and there's a fixed supply of these coins, and eight million people. I mean, in Nigeria, I'm told that you know, twenty percent of the people are are using Bitcoin and Lightning for their financial transactions. I'm not sure that's wow. accurate, but you know, there are a couple hundred million people in Nigeria. I mean. You know, this is, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the way when, when the cell phone came out, a lot of countries didn't even put in landlines because the cell phone just kind of, you skipped it. And you've got these countries that are kind of where all the people are unbanked. I mean, all you need is a smartphone and you can have a Bitcoin wallet. And so, you know, you're actually starting to see, you know, people who never had a bank account, they might have Bitcoin on their phone. And, you know, they might, if, if they've got vendors in their area that will accept lightning payments, well, guess what? You know, they're doing payments and they're making transactions, They're doing monetary transactions without a bank, a credit card company, or the government being involved. That's a very powerful thing.
0: Lawrence, you know, this is a very hopeful tone that we've ended off, so Wait. I think it's, well, this has
7: been a great conversation.
0: Well,
2: Lawrence, we, we got to have you for, I'm trying to bridge the worlds of hard money. We're going to do a, a, I was going to do a gold conference. I'm like, you know what? We got to do a hard money conference. you know what I mean? Bring the well, world- right. no, It's, it's not gold. about gold or
7: Bitcoin. Yeah, it's sound money. Sound, sound money. money sound money I mean it's uh you know we got analog sound money we got digital sound money we're all on the same team I love it
0: all right Lawrence <laughs> Luppert you. Equity Management Associates thanks so much for being with thanks, us Thanks, guys
7: good to be with you take care all right, Thank you.
0: all right everyone the packed schedule keeps on going baby all right so next up we got Greg Foss he's the executive and shareholder of Validus power so we'll be back in just a minute
3: hi everyone and thank you we are pleased to introduce greg ross who, as everyone knows is the executive and shareholder of validus power he's also a veteran bitcoin bull and has a long history as a risk asset manager um and i just want to kind of start off the first question a bit macro just given everything that's going on how much does global monetary policy have to change to accommodate btc and do you think btc is the only coin we can say has a true store of value given everything that's going Going on right now?
8: Oh, that's a, that's a big question. Um, let's start with uh, global monetary policy. Um, I'm a mathematician. Well, I'm an engineer, so I like math. Uh, I wish I was a mathematician, but I'm not that smart, but I always try to focus on mathematics. We are in a global debt spiral. Okay, very simply, the size of our total global debt balloon is 400 trillion US dollars and the global economy is only 100 trillion US dollars and there is no way to mathematically escape the certainty that the interest payments on the debt will exceed the growth rate on the economy. So in other words the numerator is going to continue to expand faster than the, than the denominator. The error term in that to solve the debt spiral is printing more money 100 percent certain now larry Lapard, who was just on said he's highly confident that monetary policy will continue to expand i'm going to go further and say i'm a hundred percent certain that monetary policy will continue to expand because it's only mathematics okay so there's very few things that are certain in finance but fiat debasement is 100% certain. We have reached the point of no return with respect to a debt spiral. So to answer your question, Bitcoin solves the debt spiral. Very simply, why? Because it's got fixed supply. No other digital asset has that characteristic. You can ask Vitalik what he says the supply of Ethereum is, and he'll say something like, well, it's uncertain. As a mathematician, I don't like uncertainty. I like to know what my fixed supply is. So in my opinion, Bitcoin is the only digital asset that solves the fiat debt spiral. Now this is a global phenomenon, but every single com- country exhibits it. Canada is leading the race, unfortunately, just due to our, reaction, our, our uh, response to the COVID crisis on a total debt to GDP, but the USA Running, as Larry Lepard said, 130% total debt to GDP, government debt only. Doesn't include corporate, state, or other structured product debt. So, in my opinion, it's there is no concern about the monetary aspect. That is written in stone. What you need to do is protect yourself against that certainty with hard assets. And I'm in Larry Lepard's camp. I own other hard assets besides Bitcoin. Yep. However, I think Bitcoin is... The best horse in the race. It's the most certain from a supply standpoint. Larry likes gold. I like gold, but I like Bitcoin better. And here's a, something I'm not sure that came up in your uh, in your conversations heretofore. but if the price of gold were to double tomorrow, do you think the supply of gold would increase partially above its 2% annualized growth rate? There's no question, right? I, I know I would be going to the, uh, you know, those those uh, those jewelry, uh, what, what, what do you call it? The, uh, the, uh, the, the pawn jewelry. shops. The pawn the shops. The pawn shops. <laughs> yeah. But, but if the price of Bitcoin were to double tomorrow, the supply of Bitcoin is fixed, okay? There is no uncertainty in the supply. Bitcoin is the most beautiful technological innovation that I have ever seen, and it is the best asymmetric upside opportunity i have ever seen as far as managing risk goes so i like to think of bitcoin larry said digital gold i'll take it a step further bitcoin's actually digital energy and that's where things get really exciting and how bitcoin can help solve some of the energy uh i would i'll, I'll call them conundrums we have with our grid for example our electricity grid and how she, bitcoin right. can Yes. Yeah, I, I'm very curious about this because, uh,
2: you know, I've co- I covered utilities uh, as an analyst uh, for a yeah. long time. And, um, you know, that's a part that I'm the more applicable around just, you know, from I just think of Bitcoin, while all of the positive characteristics, I still think that that, you know, there's this. You know, there's this net draw of energy. I'd love to hear you, you know, hear you talk through how it can help, right? It, from a power perspective, because I just see it as as a net draw, which I think it can is worth it. Like just like gold, you're you're expending energy, uh, you know, for a hard money. That you know that there are things you're gonna have to live with, but um, I struggle with just some of the the more nuanced uh, arguments around that.
8: You know, the, how how it sits as a you know as 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 something positive. Okay, so let's start with how the grid is constructed and the ancient technology of our electricity grid globally. But remember that a grid has a base load that is designed to uh, accommodate 6 p.m. power draws in your neighborhood. Why 6 p.m.? Well, people get home from work, they turn on their air conditioning, they turn on their stoves, they turn on their heat perhaps. But the point is, this base load is designed for a peak draw in power typically in the evening but that draw in power is cyclical that doesn't mean you power up and down your nuclear generators it doesn't mean you power up and down your or you stop the rotation of your hydro dams the power is being generated and if there's not a draw on that power the grid becomes unstable in the other direction so the grid can become unstable because there's too much power being drawn or the grid can be dr- uh, unstable because you have supply and nobody drawing the power, and you can't power up and down your nuclear reactors. You don't turn off on and off your solar generators and your wind generators. They turn if you don't have a draw of that power, you're either selling it to the uh, United States or, in some cases, did you know in Canada's case we pay the Americans to take our power at times of day. Canada is America to take our power. Why? Because it's gotta go somewhere or else those transmission lines will blow up. So what's smarter that we had Bitcoin mining capacity drawing as the last marginal user of power. And when the grid needs more power, it flip the switch off. Because Bitcoin mining can be powered up and down in a second. It's like a stabilizer in the grid, okay? And here's another thing for you. If you're designing a 20 year nuclear generator, because that's how long it takes a a, a payoff, a return on investment over 20 year period, that that CapEx can be, or return on investment can be reduced meaningfully when you include Bitcoin mining revenues in that projection, because the nuclear reactor has to run all the time, but if you don't have the demand, giving it to the united states or if you have bitcoin mining demand and creating revenue from the bitcoin holy smokes so let's, let's take it one step further you guys talked about africa earlier. Right. Can, can i just yeah. visualize that just a little bit the way you, so
2: just what you're thinking about it is there's base load and i mean you may not be using all that base load you know when i'm the, the power you know when when usage is lower and you're just basically skimming off what would
8: what would normally go to some other jurisdiction is that right yeah or or damage your system so you're actually protecting the system as well now in the case of africa because i wanted to mention that they're actually creating electricity for villages because they get bitcoin mining turning on rivers okay that provide electricity to the village but are able to create a revenue stream that makes a capital expenditure worthwhile to power villages in Uh, in Africa. Look at uh, uh, a recent investment by um, uh, Twitter founder Jack, uh, drawing a blank on Jack's last name, but uh, Twitter guy. Um, Yeah. And uh, uh, Elise Killeen, Uh, I think it's called Gridless. Okay. This is a, this is an issue for Gridless powering Africa using very small size Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin power generator that's providing uh, uh, utility and uh, energy to to the citizens of Africa.
3: And I, I just wanted to follow up on that. Um, if you have a if you have a perspective, which developed nations, if any, do you think will be the first to incorporate BTC on their balance sheet or or BTC in a big way into their?
8: Russia. Russia. If you can include Russia as a developing nation, why? Because Putin's smart enough to realize he doesn't want to get paid in U.S. dollars for his natural, valuable natural resource energy. He's already negotiating getting paid in yuan uh, and potentially gold and eventually bi- uh, Bitcoin. Why? Well, there's no payment freezes on uh, on Bitcoin. It's much easier to transport than gold. It's not U.S. dollars. It is digital energy, so why sell natural resource energy for uh, uh, depreciating US dollars when you can sell it for very valuable digital energy, Bitcoin? Um, It may not be the first one, but it'll be the most substantial one. We already have, I know it's an emerging nation, but uh, El Salvador, I was down there uh, a month ago. Lots of exciting things happening in El Salvador. Point being, it is a process and this process doesn't happen overnight. Another thing that Larry Lapard said, why don't you, we got to examine 20 year time frames, And that's why I'm so bullish on Bitcoin. Very simply, you don't have to have a hundred cents of every dollar in Bitcoin, but please don't have zero, okay? It's more risky to own zero Bitcoin than it is to have a proper portfolio allocation. And I'll say to people, start at a three to 5% portfolio allocation in Bitcoin. And focus on the other 97 to 95% of your portfolio in the short term and think of Bitcoin as your insurance on the fiat Ponzi. Very simply. Okay. Now, I got involved in Bitcoin in 2016. The price was obviously lower, but this is what I want to stress Bitcoin today is actually a better risk adjusted investment than when I got involved in Bitcoin in 2016. Okay. Very simply. Why? Uh-oh, my, fr- my screen just froze. Okay, good. Uh, very simply, why? Because of the certainty of the debt spiral, the certainty, the way the government's reacted to the COVID crisis is, is now impossible to escape the debt spiral. Okay? Before we had a fighting chance, now it is not possible mathematically to escape that spiral. You need certainty of a score of value. In my opinion, you need to own some Bitcoin, very simply. Greg, just, just maybe, just on that, you know, the fact that you know when
2: you you believe the risk reward is better now versus when you first got in. The other aspect here is too, like maybe this cleansing of the system post FTX, post SBF, um, that you know, you, all these shit coins dying, uh, that money kind of flows flows, flows, flows
8: into Bitcoin. Yes, sir. But you know, let's not worry about the other shit coins. You know, there's a lot of shit coins in the world that aren't digital assets. Okay, I mean. <laughs> Tons of penny stocks are shit dollar. coins. Well, you know, I was on stage at Bitcoin Miami, and a couple of billionaires did refer to the U.S. dollar as a shit coin. I, I'm not quite rich enough to refer to the U.S. dollar as a shit coin because uh, the Canadian dollar. If the U.S. dollar is a shit yeah, coin, I don't even situation. want to describe what the Canadian dollar is. Okay, but, but let's just let's just be careful and understand that it's a uh, Bitcoin is an IQ test in risk management. It's that simple. And if you have the best asymmetric return opportunity that I've ever seen in 35 years of managing risk, I'll just tell you, you need to have a certain amount of exposure to that opportunity. I believe Larry Lepard mentioned a price target of Bitcoin of a million dollars. I'm not gonna argue with that. And in fact, Fidelity has the same price target. I have a price target slightly higher. And the reason I do it have it higher is because I use a debt calculation. I use debt metrics to calculate uh, a, an outcome for Bitcoin. Now, all of this is to say you got to have a target and you can have a time frame, but never set both on TV. So my price target for Bitcoin is 2 million US dollars per Bitcoin, but I'm not going to give you a time frame. I'll just say over my lifetime, the price is going higher. But the price target is based in today's dollars. So $2 million per Bitcoin is my price target. And the market is trading today at under 20,000. That tells me as a risk manager, the market is giving me a 1% chance of being right. And I'll tell you, I'm not 100% certain of my price target, but guys, I'm way more confident than 1%. Okay, it's that simple. Do the math, do portfolio analysis. How do I get to 1%? Again, 20000 Divide by 2 million is 1%. Well, it's trading at less than 20,000. So it means it's giving me a less than a 1% chance of getting there in today's dollars. So don't overthink things. Own some Bitcoin. Put it away. I think
2: we got Greg frozen up there. Oh, Greg, you're back. I hope. Are you back? Are you back? I hope. Greg, you there? You're in slow mo.
3: Oh, I think oh, we yeah, you know oh, what,
2: no. man, you know what the, the the Bitcoin energy that core that core of Bitcoin energy, Margo, it
3: yeah, was, that a, was no, that was great. Uh, yeah, that
8: was. Uh, I'm back, but hold on. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> the Sorry, froze, it, it was freezing when when Larry Lapart, I know what my time is up. Just no more not than not zero. were
3: walking us through the math of, you know, of, of your portfolio and okay, so, yeah. Bitcoin.
8: Yeah, so one percent chance. Well, look, if I'm right, you're gonna be very upset you didn't own Bitcoin. And if I'm wrong, well, you can probably live with a two to 3% allocation in your portfolio. I don't think it goes to zero, but even if it does, the expected value outcome is just so in favor of owning Bitcoin. So again, as a risk manager, you always look at things in portfolio in terms of probabilities. Please do that. And focus on the rest of your portfolio that's at very severe risk of being debased. Don't focus on the Bitcoin allocation.
2: And and, and so Greg, I should know this, but you, or you know, maybe you can help you're, you're, you're closer to this. So what if um in you know the classic fidelity asset allocation wheel with like freaking a hundred different flavors of of, of of the same schlop of equities, uh, you go from zero in Bitcoin and now you got a two percent what should that theoretically take Bitcoin to? Like, if they were like, "Listen, we're gonna we're gonna do that for authentication." No, great is-
8: question. So, how about this? Total global financial assets today are nine hundred trillion U.S. dollars. Okay. Okay. Nine hundred trillion. So, what's two percent of nine hundred trillion? That's eighteen trillion. What's mm-hmm. eighteen trillion divided by twenty one million? It's almost a million bucks of Bitcoin. That's why if the world went to a 2% allocation based on today's global financial assets. Oh, no. Oh. Greg's frozen up. Greg, we're going to wait for Greg to... Because we got to let him finish the point. we got to let him
2: finish the point. We're gonna, he, he we're having in and out, but that was... he. So the... the uh I like it, how he
3: breaks it down for everyone? Yeah, so
2: day. the numbers like so, you yeah, anyway, I am going to slaughter the numbers here, but the bottom line is you got this big pie of global money trillions. Um and
8: you take Hey Greg, uh, you I'm know, so so sorry. It's my it's my fault the internet second. is weak on the at this end. But look, yes, take the global pie. That's how I get to two trillion two uh, million of bitcoin by the way i think bitcoin takes a five percent market share of 900 trillion which is 45 trillion 45 trillion divided by 21 million is over 2 million that's the math folks uh greg foss man epic
3: thank you so much for coming
2: epic hey listen you're gonna join our hard money um sound money friendly money uh conference Greg. Right. <laughs> hey, listen, guys, uh just give us a uh, two seconds uh we're gonna be back with you know uh we, Scott's gonna come back. We're gonna talk a bit about what we're doing. Uh give us a minute here. Uh that was Greg Foss, a phenomenal
3: executive and shareholder of Validus Power.
2: Exactly. Uh yeah, give us give us a sec. We'll bring it we'll we'll, we'll rewind it back. Whoa! Ooh, oh that was it, that was let's, go, let's go! Let's go! <laughs> Listen. Um, th- thank you, everyone, for watching. That literally, um, that was one. That was some serious, serious insights. Uh, a great, uh, you know, from from start to end uh that's phenomenal um and so we just want to let everyone know if you don't know um we we just started our substack uh, grizzleresearch.substack.com we we started with oil uh we're hard we're hard asset kind of you know kind of firm here over here so uh we're always analyzing commodities uh you know we we also look deeply into the world of uh of growth stocks and uh and we're crypto curious. Uh but bitcoin but we do believe in bitcoin and hard money and um and gold and so all of those things. Scott, you want to tell a little bit more about what what we're doing on that side.
0: Yeah, we're excited about the Substack cuz it's a little bit different than, you know, what there's a lot of good content on Substack that other people are doing. We're doing it a little bit different. We're using the power of quantitative analysis to kind of supercharge everything we're doing. So you're going to get ideas on stocks. That's what you know us for stock picks. We're going to put together portfolios, quant-driven portfolios, kind of like our best ideas in, in all different sectors. We talk about markets overall, helping you navigate what's going on. So it's going to be a little bit of everything, but hopefully you're going to find it really impactful and you're going to come away with a lot of ideas and education on how to set up your portfolio and how to manage risk. We used to do it professionally, managing risk. And so we're going to give you a little bit of the tips that we've used.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and, and the goal is like, you know, we feel that, hey, listen, there's always, always lots of ideas. Great. You know, Twitter, Twitter is great. And it, it's revolutionized the world. Um, and Substack is great, too. You know, people are, are are bringing together their ideas. And then finally, you know, it's just it's the the thing that's missing here is just how do you put it all together in a portfolio context? How do you, you know, how do you? You know, at the end of the day, you go you're going to the casino, right? You're not. And I think you know having Greg leave it off was probably the best. Like Bitcoin is obviously a big, big thing, but him coming to the two to three percent position allocation is a function of the upside that he perceives. That listen, worst case, you know it's a nothing burger, but you know that's not a big deal. You know, base case, it, this thing goes up a lot, and you know, best case, it's a it's a two million dollar asset. So. You know it's it's, it's just, not
0: all or nothing which is nice right he's thinking yeah. of it in a portfolio it's not do i put all my money in bitcoin or do i have nothing in bitcoin there's it, an in between
2: exactly and in uh, guys we hosted a great uh so follow uh scott Margo underscore Ruben, uh, Scott W underscore Grizzle, myself, and obviously the Grizzle main account. You'll find everything uh, that you're watching this through. Uh, We did a fantastic spaces, Twitter spaces on Friday. We do a market wrap spaces. We're going to run that again uh, on Friday. Uh, It was a great conversation. And the goal is just really kind of take away a lot of like, you know, the – you know the bs uh, for lack of a better term bs like you know like noise that people are just so focused on the here and now we just try to like really pan back and say listen what's the opportunity our latest piece in the in the substack is on energy and there's this dichotomy right now between Oil, um, crude oil, uh, and uh, and oil stocks, and you know we, we talked through some strategies on how to play that. Today I highlighted, and you know I we haven't looked at the board again, but literally, um, crude was up three percent, Scott. So typically, when you have like a super rally day like this, uh, the way it works is that. Oil, uh crude crude oil will go up say two percent, and then oil um producers will go up four. Why, Scott, explain why an oil producer should go up more. But I'll caveat that. Today oil went up three percent and the producers were up two, which if you go to the sub stack, mm. we explain exactly why that went down.
0: That's important basically with producers they have fixed costs right so if the price of oil doubles their costs don't double so that's why there's torque in owning the producer that's why it should mathematically go up more earnings should go up more for a producer than you know oil goes up 1% earnings should be up more than 1% that's why the stock moves more
2: yeah guys uh you know in and, and we you know we're we're going to walk through that Scott Scott it's got some machine, man. The professor, and he ran through like like we're looking at options. We're like looking at anyways. We'll, we'll get into details later, but we got a, we got a great uh, where, where, where do they find the Substack? <laughs> Grizzle research.substack.com. Um, or in our bios on Twitter, you can find the links there. E- exactly. Um, and uh if anyone hey, listen, guys, let us know what other conferences this was like we wanted to do a based based crypto conference and this was based uh this was truly like uh you know we we got some you know uh we got some dudes who were, who were truly like you know uh the ben hunt was was just like i'm like i'm like oh man i you know i just was like i, I was hit i was hit with you know it was it, true to me that was one of the the best you he was, was
0: bringing some empathy yeah to crypto, you know? like he, <laughs> no. he felt bad for people you know well, like well was...
2: no but you know what it, it, was, it was not even fat it, it was like so much of it was like oh shit yeah he it. was
0: animosity directed towards the charlatans well, well, and he, the, the frauds
2: exactly street. because so much of like you know the other side if you're not involved with in crypto the other side of crypto is like oh you guys are dumb, this that the other but you know he brought he brought it to a level of like it is a level of entrepreneurialism. you know there is like great energy and there's a lot of great people involved but the, the other part of it is that you got this whole like field of charlatans and hucksters right and that that is a challenge and obviously I you know we take the positive view cup half full that listen uh bitcoin is a powerful asset um you know we're in a world uh, you know if you listen to Greg Foss uh Larry those guys you know laid out a real real clear case for this uh and you know couple that with Ben and Dunberg, as always, man, always dropping great hits. And yeah. Steph Ulett is that was an interesting, uh, interesting take from somebody who managed risk really well. And that's, you know, to come to you know, doing what Steph does um in the space of institutional crypto and coming away unharmed um out of all of this really so It really told you you gotta know who your counterpart is. You always gotta know who your counterpart is.
0: Yeah. Well. So I, I think that wraps up uh, Grizzle Crypto from the Ashes. Hopefully you understand kind of what the future hold, where the risks are. Uh, remember, spaces, 1230?
2: 12. 12. 12
0: noon. 12. Noon on Friday. Every every Friday at noon, we're doing a spaces. So So pop on in. It was a great time last time. Lots of knowledge being dropped. Lots of fun being had.
2: Yeah, guys, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for tuning in and uh, share this. Uh, you know, retweet it if the people need it. Uh, we'll be out tweeting out the segments, and it'll also be available on podcasts. Uh, you, you, you'll see all of that. Thank you very much, everyone, for joining.
0: Thanks, everyone. Grizzle out.